If you have your Bible with you today, I would like you to turn with me to the book of Luke. We will be in Luke chapter 15 today, and we'll begin in verse 1. Uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. And um, there are a few parables that Jesus tells that are extremely well known, some much less so. And chapter 15 is, it consists solely of three parables. Uh, two of them are extremely well known. And one of them, not as much, so it kind of gets, um, kind of gets the whole gamut there. Now, the ones that Jesus does tell that are real well known, they tend to be powerful and, and poignant pictures that, that that really speak to our hearts. They uh, they 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 speak to our souls, and uh, that's what happens in the first and third uh, parables in chapter 15. We're going to look at the first two, and someone is likening these three parables to artwork because. And in some artwork, it's it you know it's like uh, artwork made up of three panels. Each panel has a picture of its own, but you don't get the whole uh, thrust of what the what the artist is trying to convey unless you take all three pictures together. And that's what this is. Uh, all three parables have similar themes that run through them. We have uh, the idea of of uh, something that was lost being found. We have this idea of of searching. We have we have the theme of of joy. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first two parables that Jesus tells. And he does this. He tells this parable in response to some people that are mad at him. Now, again, this is not new. This, is, this should not surprise you if you've joined with us really much at all in our study of Luke. You'll know that Jesus would torque off the, uh, the religious elite all the time. And that's what he did this time. He, uh, he, sometimes he would, he would heal somebody on the Sabbath. Sometimes he would call them out and call them a bunch of hypocrites and doing different things like that and make them mad. But this time he made them mad because of the people he associated with. And so to answer them, he told three parables. And again, each of these, each of these parables hangs together, but each of them stands on its own. So we're going to look at the first two uh, today. I thought about doing all three in one day. But we have the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, and so, or the prodigal son. And, you know, if, if I covered all three of those, we might be here all day, and, and all, uh, the, especially the way things have gone so far in the service. I don't think that's a good idea. There's, there's no telling what had happened. But, uh, but we will look at the first two, and we're going to focus on the first one mainly, but we'll, we'll touch on the second one just a little bit. So if you found Luke chapter 15 and are able, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And we'll pick up in verse 1 and read down to verse 10. It says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him uh, to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her neighbors, her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, there are a few things I want you to see in our text today. The first is Jesus' sinful friends. 
Jesus' sinful friends. Look back at verse 1 if you would. Now there are a great number of tax collectors and sinners that are coming near to hear Jesus and to listen to Him. And most of us, we look at that and we'd say, well, what's wrong with that? That is a good thing. People should be rejoicing that people are coming to hear Jesus. But, but who are these people that, that are being mentioned? Well, we've talked about tax collectors in the past. Tax collectors, well, let, let, let me take a survey, and I know the answer to this. Who here likes to pay taxes? Anybody? No, nobody likes to pay taxes. And none of us, probably, if we were to meet somebody that was, let's say, an IRS agent, and they were in charge of doing audits, for instance, we might shake their hand, but we might want to go wash it afterwards, right? I mean, we just, we just, we, we don't like paying taxes. We don't like anything associated with taxes. And it was the same back then. But it was even worse back then because, and again, we've, this is not new, but these tax collectors were seen as turncoats because the Romans were the occupying force and these, these tax collectors, by and large, were Jewish people. They were Jewish-born men, and they were not being conscripted into service by the Romans. They were jockeying for a chance to get rich by exacting taxes from their countrymen. And so they would, they would tax these people. They would come and demand money. But on top of the money that Rome demanded and, and required, they would also inflate the amount that they would take from these people, and then they would pocket the difference. So these guys were they, they were their, they were seen as the scum of the earth. I mean, they were the outcasts. They were barred from religious society. They were they were the, uh, uh, the well, you, you just didn't associate with them. That was the tax collector. Many of them were non-religious. But then when it talks about the sinners coming, it's not talking about sinners as in the sense that you know Paul says that uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. That's not the way that this is being used. Sinners here is talking about a specific group of people, and these people were the people who had, who, who had rejected the law of God. They had turned from the teachings of Moses. They didn't, they didn't associate with, with, with God. They were kicked out of the religious community. Again, they, they were the people that nobody wanted to be around. These, these were people that were ceremonially, I mean, you, you, just, you just stayed away from them. They were like the atheists, the agnostics. I mean, they, they were, you just didn't get around these people. And so these are the people that are coming to Jesus. These are the people that are hearing him. And remember who it is that's griping. The, the Bible says it's the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes were the people who would, who would copy the scriptures. And because they would be exposed to the scriptures, because you had to look at what it said, write it down, look at what it said, write it down, they began to be very, um, uh, uh, very comfortable with the, the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They began to be experts in the scriptures. And so they had a kind of a high position in society. But also the Pharisees, you remember, they were ones that focused on ceremonial cleanliness. And so if they went to the marketplace, when they got home, they did all, all kinds of, of different washings, not because they wanted to wash germs off their hands, but in case they had come in contact with somebody that might defile them by their sinfulness. And so that's, that's the group of people who looks at Jesus, and, and Jesus is not only having people come listen to him, but he's welcoming them. The Bible says that he not only uh, has them listen to him, look at what it says in verse 1. They come near to listen to him, verse, verse 2. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So whenever they came, Jesus didn't shoo them away. He didn't say, y'all get out of here, you bunch of sinners. Y'all get out of here, you bunch of heathens. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Instead, these people came and Jesus greeted them. He, he was hospitable to them and he not only welcomed them, the Bible says that he ate with them. 
He ate with them, and that was just too much for these guys. Why? Because sharing a meal implies some sort of community with whoever it is you're eating with. So if you go into a restaurant and you see people sitting at a table eating, what do you think? Do you think that those people are enemies at odds with each other? Well, probably not if they're not yelling at each other. If you see people eating with each other, you think, if you, if you actually, I mean, you just associate those two people or those group, that group of people. Those people are, are in league in some way. They're in community. They, they are getting along with one another. And so when these people look at Jesus eating with these sinners and these tax collectors, they're thinking, well, birds of a feather flock together. You shouldn't be doing that, Jesus. And we can kind of understand. I mean, just put yourself, put yourself in this position. Let's say there's somebody in your community, somebody in your neighborhood that has a reputation. Maybe it's for being a, a scoundrel of a businessman. Maybe it's for some sort of sexual impropriety. And somehow you end up at a table with them. And everybody knows you. Everybody knows this person. What do you do? You, you, you kind of try to hide your face, right? You, you, you try and hurry this meal along. You, you try to find some reason to, oh, oh, I, I just got a call. I, 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 my, my, my grandma's sick. I need to, go, need to go visit her. Waiter, could you, put our, could you get us a table back in that corner where nobody goes? I mean, we, 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 try, we would want to keep people from seeing us, from associating us with these undesirables. And these are the people that are coming to Jesus, and the religious folks are looking at this and saying, he shouldn't be doing that. Doesn't he know who it is he's eating with? And so Jesus tells a story. Now these people are, are, are grumbling. Uh, if, if you look at verse 2, they begin to grumble. That, that means they were complaining to one another. And you've been in crowds where people grumble. You know, you're sitting there at work, and they say, well, this is the way thing, things are going to change, and this is the way it's going to be, and there's grumbling. This murmuring. It's unhappy noises. And they're doing it loud enough that Jesus hears them. And so he tells three stories. The first of which is going to be our focus today. And that is, uh, the first thing I want you to see about it is the shepherd persistently seeks the sheep. The shepherd persistently seeks the sheep. Now to answer their complaint, Jesus tells first about a shepherd that has lost a sheep. Now this story... Maybe one of your favorites. And if it is, you're not alone. Because throughout Christian history, the imagery that Jesus uses of this shepherd that's especially carrying the sheep upon his, upon his shoulders, that is a very famous picture. That is the early days of Christianity. Uh, their, their artwork was filled with this imagery of a shepherd seeking the lost sheep. And we, we, we've no doubt seen pictures of a shepherd and, and the sheep that is lost and, and so forth. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus tells this parable, and if you look at verse 4, he makes it personal. He says, which one of you, if, if you had a hundred sheep, would not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go seek the one? Now clearly, this sheep stands in place of the tax collectors and sinners in the story. And on one hand, it doesn't make very good sense, does it? Because the shepherd still has 99% of a sheep. And we say, 99% ain't too bad. And it doesn't make very good sense for him to leave the 99% and go after the 1%. If you're one of the 99, that doesn't make very good sense. But if you're the one, you're real happy, aren't you? You're, you're thankful that that shepherd comes searching for you if you're that one. 
And so, so Scripture likens us, and, and when he's talking about the tax collectors and sinners and, and sheep and all that, understand this, this extends beyond just the tax collectors and sinners. This extends to each of us. We, all of us, are like that lost sheep. And when Scripture likens us to a sheep, it's not giving us a compliment. Sheep are prone to wander. They're prone to stray. They, 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 they're defenseless, and they're not very smart. And you may have seen a video, and I, I, I thought about getting it and showing it, but I, I didn't. If you want to see it after service, I'll show you. There's a video that was made rounds on social media recently about a sheep that is in a trench. Have you seen this? And the guy reaches down and pulls the sheep out, and the sheep is thrilled. And he goes bounding off, and he gets two or three jumps down the, down the way, and he jumps right back in the trench. And, and I, I, I watched that, and I said, Lord got a picture of me. Got me on video, because here, here it is. I mean, this, this sheep is not smart. He's off where he shouldn't have been, and he gets right back into it right after he gets rescued. And so, so this picture here is of this sheep, not very smart. He's off away from the, from the shepherd. He's off away from the, the rest of the flock. And, and that's really a picture of humanity, isn't it? The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That means all of us. That means me. And that means you. You have turned to your own way. You've gone astray. But thank God the shepherd of our souls has come on a rescue mission. He has gone looking, searching for, pursuing, persistently, until he finds the sheep. And notice the sheep, he doesn't assume the sheep will come to him. He initiates the rescue. The sheep doesn't contribute anything to to his rescue except the need to be rescued. The shepherd goes and finds the sheep. And the shepherd doesn't seek until it's inconvenient. Notice what it says. Verse, uh, verse 4 at the end. He says, He leaves the nine in the open pasture and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. He doesn't go out until the sun sets low on the horizon and then say, Well, I tried. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll turn up one of these days. He doesn't... He doesn't do any of that. He searches. He seeks. He's persistent. He, he pursues until he finds the sheep. And then when he finds it, notice, notice his, his response. He's not mad. He's not put out because of what he's had to do. He is rejoicing. And listen, I want to tell you today that if you've never been saved by the shepherd, you too are lost. You're not where you need to be. You're not where you're supposed to be. You've turned to your own way. How's that working out for you? The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Each of us, apart from Christ, is a lost, like a lost sheep. But Jesus came to seek and to save who? That which was lost. He came on a rescue mission. He came to rescue sinners like me and like you from condemnation in hell. He came to die a sacrificial death on the cross where he took the sins of all who trust in him on, on himself and those who believe in him would have everlasting life. Again, just like this sheep, you don't contribute anything to your salvation except the sin that, that needs you saved. You, you don't help God. It's not that God does most of it and you do the rest. 
Salvation, the Bible says, is of the Lord. And today, if you would trust Christ for salvation, you will be saved. The Bible uses the word repent. That's what Jesus talks about at the end of this parable. If you'll repent of your sin, if you'll turn from it, if you'll have a change of heart and a change of mind, you will be saved. Now to wrap this parable up, look at verse 5. And I, I, I alluded to this earlier. But I want you to see the joy that salvation brings. We tend to focus on verse 7. There's joy in heaven. And that's something to, that's something to focus on. That's important. But I want you to look at verse 5. Because verse 5 is something that we often overlook. Who is, okay, so sheep, tax collectors, sinners, the rest of us apart from Christ. Who is the shepherd? Well, it's Jesus. Again, look at verse 5. When the shepherd rescues the sheep, notice again, he's not angry. He rejoices. It brings him joy when somebody gets saved. It gladdens his heart. It puts a smile on the face of Christ when somebody comes to faith in Him. And, and, and the shepherd, he doesn't keep the good news to himself. Verse 6, when he comes home, he shares the good news. He tells somebody. It's, it's like the news. Have you ever had news that's so good you can't, you can't keep it to yourself? Somebody's gotten saved. Somebody has been sick so, and, and, and made a, a miraculous recovery. You, you were in a car wreck and, and walked away from it. Uh, somebody had a baby. I mean, we have all these things, and the joy is just so much that's just overflowing, and we can't keep it to ourselves. And what do we do? We have to call. We have to, we, we have to go to somebody's house and tell them. We have to get the word out. And that's what this shepherd does. The, the news is so good, he's not going to keep it to himself. And when somebody comes to faith, look at verse 7. I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When someone comes to faith in Christ, all heaven knows, and they rejoice, led chiefly by God himself, by the shepherd. And here's the kicker. Here's where the rubber meets the road with what Jesus has, is answering these tax collectors and or these scribes and Pharisees. They're complaining because Jesus is eating, being nice to, sharing table with the undesirables. Jesus has come on a rescue mission, and these are people that he's rescuing. These are people that he's saving. And Jesus says, when that happens, there's joy in heaven. The friends of the shepherd rejoice when that happens. But instead of rejoicing, what are these people doing? They're grumbling, which shows they are not friends of the shepherd they're not friends of God they're not friends of Christ they thought they were they took pride in their religious accomplishments their religious heritage they knew the law they could recite the law if they were doing a, 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 a Bible trivia quiz they'd kill it I mean they could if they could they memorized scripture they knew where everything was they didn't have chapter and verses they could still find stuff I mean they knew it Forwards and backwards. And Jesus showed them, and they sh it shows us, from their response, they're not friends of God. Listen, you can be a Bible trivia master and not be God's friend. You can be far from Him in your heart. And Jesus hits them with a, with a one-two punch. 
He tells a very short parable about a woman who's lost a coin. Now, the coin that's, that's in question here is the Greek drachma. It's, only, it's, it's a, a small coin that's uh, worth about a day's wages. It's, it's uh, roughly equivalent to a denarii. And so she has about a week and a half's worth of wages here, and she's lost one of the coins. Now, even though the sheep may have actually sold for more money than this, this is really more valuable in, in a sense, because first we, lo- we, we lost one out of 100, now we've lost one out of 10. Next time, he tells the story, it's the parable of the prodigal son, then we've lost one out of two. See, the, the, the cost, the, the, the worth keeps going up. And so this, this woman has lost one of the ten coins, and she loses it, and much like the shepherd, she diligently seeks for it until when? Until she finds it. Until she re- reclaims it. Now this is going to show how far from, from this I am, but maybe you can identify. You ever lost the TV remote? You know what I'm talking about, right? And somebody is, has noted that that you lose the TV remote, all of a sudden you doubt everybody's motives. Hey, do you have the do you have the remote? No, stand up. You know, and I, I say that because I'm more apt to lose the remote than I am my money. But what do you do? You seek until you find it. You're moving chairs. You're pulling out cushions. That's what this lady's doing with the money because it's important to her. Now, obviously, a silver coin's worth more than a silly TV remote. But listen, it's of great value to her. And she, she looks and she looks and she, she lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. I mean, she's, she's searching for it, doing everything she can to find this coin. And then when she finds it, what does it say? It says that she calls her friends, verse 9, and her friends and her neighbors, and she calls to him and says, Rejoice with me, for I found that which was lost. Hear that terminology again, lost and found? And that's a small picture of the rejoicing by the angels in heaven when a sinner repents. And that's what God is calling, may, may be calling you to do today if you've never done so. To repent. To turn to God. To have a, a change of heart and a change of mind about your sin. Those things that you once gloried in and enjoyed you now, uh, it now disgusts you. You turn your back on. You turn from your sin, and you make an about face, and you turn towards faith in Christ. You trust Him for salvation. And if that's you, if you, if you have, are, are not a believer, God is calling you today to repent. The Bible says that God has commanded all people everywhere to repent. And today, if you hear his voice, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. Don't be like the sheep that's running away from the shepherd. That's foolishness. It's foolish to turn from the shepherd and to run from the shepherd. You can't do it on your own. You can't save yourself. Trust Christ for salvation. When you do, the Bible says that, that, that all of heaven rejoices. You do that today... And I can tell you that heaven is going to rejoice. We will rejoice. You will rejoice. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be washed. You'll be restored. You'll be put in right relationship with God. And if you've never done that, again, I I encourage you in the strongest possible terms to do that today.
Now, for those of us who are Christians, it could be that maybe you've wandered away from the flock. Maybe you're not where you need to be. You're off in the wilderness. To jump ahead and use terminology from the next parable, you're off in the far country. You're not living like you should. Jesus is pursuing you. Won't you come home today? And this is a challenge for each of us too because when, when we see or hear of someone that comes to faith in Christ, maybe even a notorious sinner, how many of us are more likely to grumble than rejoice? If we don't rejoice, if we're not, if we're not happy when we hear of somebody that comes to faith in Christ, that should be a warning sign to us. There's a problem. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want you to answer the question in your own heart and in your own mind. Are you that lost sheep? Are you away from the shepherd? Are you away from the flock? You've turned to your own way. You're doing your own thing. wandered away in sin maybe you're like those scribes and Pharisees they're just as lost as those sheep even though they they were lost as the tax collectors and sinners they didn't realize it because they were doing these works of the law they were going to synagogue they were reading the the law they were doing the prayers and it could be that maybe somebody listening to me today has, has been going through the motions but you're still off in the far country maybe you're a Christian who's not living like you should you know it God knows it Come home. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, thank you for your spirit which convicts our hearts. We thank you that though we are uh, vile sinners, we're like those sheep that have gone astray, and, and even worse than that, we've, we've not just wandered away, we've run away. But God, we thank you that like that good shepherd in the parable, you pursue us, you draw us to yourself, you save us. And Lord, I ask that if there's somebody here 
who's, who's uh, hearing these words, that they don't know you, I pray that you would save them today. Even right where they are, that they would trust Christ for salvation. And Lord, for the Christian who's maybe gotten involved in, in stuff, maybe they've been, been away for a long time. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself as well, that you would bring them back to the fold. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us as believers to not be like these scribes and Pharisees that grumbled whenever they saw um, these, these open sinners coming to Christ. Help us never be like that. God, we thank you for your grace, which is greater than our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.